My name is Andrew Robinson, and on behalf of Copyright Clearance Centre, or CCC, it's my job to welcome everyone to this, the fourth event in our series on Workflow of the Future, where we will focus on standards and sustainability. This is a hugely important topic for all of us, our companies, professionally and personally. Climate change is affecting everyone. We are impacting the environment, and the environment is impacting us. Standards help solve problems, make us safer, and reduce barriers to trade. They can also help us with the complexity of sustainability and make measurable differences. I'll now hand over to my colleague and facilitator for the event, Jonathan Clark, to introduce the panel and start the conversation. Jonathan, please take it away. Thank you very much, Andrew. And uh, we've got three just fantastic, amazing panelists for you today. Um, it really is a, a pleasure and an honour to, to introduce them, and we'll, we'll go straight on. Um, so we've got Holly Elwood, um, Micah Lucan, and Holly Nieber, and I will waste no time in going on to interview uh, to uh, introduce Holly Elwood. Um, Holly is a senior advisor for the EPA, and she works in their environmentally preferable purchasing program, um, and that's a program that helps federal agencies factor in the environment into their into their purchasing decisions. And you'll hear a lot more about that from her. And she also coordinates input from the EPA into sustainability standards and, and helps shape and maintain their own recommendations of standards. Thank you so much, Jonathan. And thank you for inviting me here to speak with you all today, CCC. Uh, as Jonathan mentioned, I'm part of our Environmentally Preferable Purchasing Program. And as part of our work to help federal purchasers in the U.S. government procure more sustainable products and services, we uh, conduct a number of different uh, major activities. Um, one is that we help to create and to update key product sustainability standards and eco-labels um, for use in federal purchasing that address product and service categories with high federal spend and with known significant environmental impact during their production, their use, and or their disposal phases. We also recognize that there are just a, a host of uh, private sector standards and eco-labels in the market that are available for us to utilize to help assist in our sustainable procurement efforts. So we also assess and recommend private sector standards and eco-labels for use in federal purchasing. We've been in existence since 1993 and were put in place in order to harness the power of the federal pocketbook as the largest purchaser in the world with over $650 billion in sales of products or in purchases of products and services last year alone. Um, to try to use our pocketbook signal to be able to shift towards a more sustainable marketplace for us all. Uh, the Biden-Harrison administration and several statutes guide us in terms of what we should be thinking about and doing around sustainable purchasing. And Executive Order 14057 was issued by the Biden administration, which sets a very ambitious goal of net zero emissions procurement by 2050. And it also directs purchasers to procure products and services that meet the EPA recommended standards and eco-labels. So why do we focus on sustainability standards and eco-labels? 
first of all, because they really do help give us a tool to communicate more effectively to the vendor community about what we would like to see as far as more sustainable products and services. Uh, we also are directed to do so by another policy document called OMB Circular A119, which directs the federal community to use standards in order to meet our policy and our procurement objectives as much as possible to try to utilize the existing resources in the market as opposed to developing another set of criteria to meet any particular policy or procurement goal. Uh, we found that it's really not enough to just tell federal purchasers that they need to go buy more sustainable products and services. Um, they really do need some help in figuring out which tools they should use and how to find them and how to get to the products that meet those standards and eco-labels. Um, and we know that most purchasers are in that boat with federal purchasers as well. Today, there's over 460 sustainability standards and eco-labels that are available in the marketplace today. And sifting through these to determine which ones apply to which product and service category and which ones really are environmentally effective and credible and have good solid conformity assessment to make sure that products, in fact, do meet the criteria set in those standards can be very daunting for purchasers who already have a whole host of other responsibilities that they need to meet and are not going to become environmental experts in order to make sustainable procurement happen in, for their organizations. So our recommendations are really intended to address that issue and give purchasers one place to go to see a set of recommended standards and eco-labels that have already been vetted by the Environmental Protection Agency and our sister agencies. Um, and so I'll put the link in the chat for that. But for those who want to take a look, it's epa.gov slash greener products. And then you can see uh, what we have. We've got uh, 48 different standards and eco-labels that we recommend today in 30 different product categories. And we are planning to expand our recommendations and have just launched a new expansion process. So if you are aware of a sustainability standard or an eco-label that applies for your product or service category that you sell, or you're uh, interested in purchasing a product that might meet a particular standard or eco-label, but you're not sure uh, whether the, about the credibility of that standard, please let us know because we have the opportunity right now and are in the process of selecting standards and eco-labels that we will be assessing in the future. And I'll put the link in the chat as well to where you can go to apply to be considered to be assessed. If you're a standard developer and you have a standard that you'd like us to consider reviewing and or an eco-label owner. So that's it for me. And I'm just very much looking forward to the discussion that we have today. Thank you. Great, thank you very much, Holly. So let's move on to our, uh, our second uh, panelist, uh, Michael Lucan. Um, Michael is chair of the Planet Positive uh, 2030 initiative. Thank you very much, Jonathan. And it's a great pleasure to be here. Uh, Sainia was, is located 30 kilometers away from the birthplace of the North American oil industry. It still has major, uh, like refineries and so on in, in this location. But it also changed itself greatly. Um, 
a few years ago, it was the host of the largest um, solar plant, solar power generation plant in the world at 80 megawatts for I don't know how many months or a couple of years. Then it uh, started to look at um, while we are having a sustainability initiative in the in the city, uh, looking at how we can transform the chemical industry from a fossil-based feedstock to bio-based feedstock, essentially called it a, a bio-innovation. So, as you may imagine, this small town of eighty, roughly eighty thousand people, uh, really transformed itself first with the oil industry um, inventing a safety culture that has been exported around the globe and then trying to change, to add to the safety culture, a sustainability culture where the companies and uh, the municipality and uh, the educational sector all work together to uh, really push sustainability a notch forward. So that's why I'm bringing this up to show you the uh, the development from safety culture to sustainability culture. Thank you. So let's come to talk about IEEE. IEEE's core mission is to foster technological innovation excellence for the benefit of humanity. And that of course means engagement around climate change and sustainability. Um, IEEE is a leading authority in uh, ICTs, uh, power and energy, and different uh, disciplines that are all based on the electron and the photon, essentially. And the members share their expertise uh, by working applications into different sectors, from transportation to energy uh, to healthcare. And you see this reflected in the uh, expanding activities of the IEEE Standards Association, where a lot of standards originally were around the energy and, and communications uh, sectors. Uh, today, the standards activities are branching along with the application of digital uh, technology and different technologies into different sectors, like agriculture, for example. And with the advancement of AI, um, the um, actually it started probably with drones, but uh, um, with the advancement of these technologies, uh, there has been a stronger focus on the impact the societal impact of the use of technology and what type of standards need to be developed around there, around that in order to um, ensure safe and sustainable use of technology. Next. And uh, here are some examples of standards that are related to social impact, like ethical AI systems, data governments, governance, uh, child online rights, uh, dignity and agency and identity. And of course, the continuance of clean and sustainable energy, uh, looking at uh, um, minimal energy use, connectivity and mobility. And Furthermore, out of the Standards Association comes this initiative that uh, Jonathan was uh, referring to earlier that I share and that we started this year, which is called Planet Positive 2030. And 
this is essentially a uh, an initiative to pull together experts from from many different uh, professions from around the globe to engage in a backcasting exercise and then of course uh, the writing of recommendations to figure out how we can use technology and other approaches to come to what we call Planet Positive 2030. The aim is to to look at how we get to reducing the greenhouse gas emissions below 50% of 2005 uh, by 2030, and how we can uh, use uh, major uh, efforts of regeneration to uh, come to what we call planet positive. In other words, give back more than we take out. So we stated this as a couple of impossible goals because in IEEE we pride ourselves of taking the IM out of the word impossible to make things possible. And so the first one is really to transform society and infrastructure. And the second one is to identify the technological gaps and solutions that we need to deploy in order to achieve planet positivity. Uh, why IEEE? IEEE is... Um, has lots of strengths. It's a trusted source of curated technical information. Uh, I already mentioned standards. Um, IEEE is uh, great at convening at um, all levels from local to global and the facilitation of communities like the Planet Positive community. Next slide, please. Uh, at a glance, it has global reach with uh, many members in 160 countries, and it's built on 46 uh, societies and councils with uh, different focus areas from robotics to uh, vehicular technology to the impact of uh, technology on society and, of course, energy. I mentioned the technical depths to a certain extent, so there's with the curated materials. So the true technical breadth here from plus like 2000 plus conferences, um, an electronic library that is uh, approaching 6 million technical documents, uh, 200 top-sided periodicals, and of course, the standards. And most recently, the impact uh, on the social side with global public policy, humanitarian efforts, uh, and ethics and technology as the newest, uh, event, uh, the newest effort. Um, I think that the IEEE standards efforts around ethics and technology are the first ones that have been undertaken by any uh, standards organization, but I stand corrected. So let's go back to Planet Positive in a sense. Um, so the contributors I mentioned, so right now we've got about 400, and I invite you to, to participate, anybody who is on this call, uh, to join us. Uh, we have about 400 from 20-plus countries. And uh, you can see the bios and the involvement uh, at the link that's posted. So uh, what is the outcome? Um, that is expected. Uh, it's a compendium we call Strong Sustainability by Design and an assessment framework that uh, looks at accountability and call it accountability, um, um, accountable sustainability by design. The idea being that uh, like we 
uh, have designed projects and uh, products for a long time with safety first. We now want to look at uh, designing uh, of whatever we design uh, with sustainability in mind first, rather than as an afterthought. And here's one uh, uh, piece that I'd like to share. It's uh, on the uh, assessment framework. We have one tool um, that we are uh, evaluating right now that is an open access um, tool uh, that looks at um, assessing sustainability for um, our progress towards sustainable behavior, sustainable action by small and medium-sized com companies. And if this uh, works, then we would like to uh, work forward to put this into a standard to help with such a tool that is not too expensive to use for smaller companies to then give them a way to uh, work within this sustainability or sustainable supply chain that Holly was mentioning earlier for, for product. Uh, right now, we have many tools that work for large companies, but we need to work on uh, standardized ways of reporting for smaller companies. And with that, thank you very much. Join us. We are open to work with everybody. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Micah. It's interesting. The first, so I think in our first two panelists concentrated very much on our impact as humans on um, climate and on the planet and the environment. Um, we're switching gears slightly in this final, uh, uh, with our final speaker, Holly Niebuhr, she's really looking at how the climate will affect uh, us as humans and in particular our buildings. Um, Holly is uh, CEO of AI Consultants and they provide um, sustainability assessment and consulting services for uh, things like the assessment of physical climate risk and other natural hazards. Um, so I'll hand over to Holly and I'll run your slides for you as well. Holly. Thanks very much. Thanks very much. It's great to be here. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm coming here as the, the CEO of AEI Consultants, a, a private sector firm that does property consulting, um, but also a volunteer who is um, chairing a task group developing uh, a standard for ASTM International. Um, regarding the assessment of natural hazard and physical climate risk at the property level. Um, ASTM has standards covering many areas, but the perspective I'm coming from today is really from the perspective of uh, the industry, um, the commercial real estate industry, and all the parties involved with that, people that own, finance, manage, and assess commercial real estate, which is you know, pretty much everything outside of the single family home um, world. So from that perspective, we are looking at um, what are the ways in which we can assess the impact of natural hazard risks, including those made more extreme by climate change to the property level. And we know that this is interacting with, as you see on this graphic here, existing due diligence and assessment practices, with many of which are covered by ASTM international standards that have been developed. It's also interconnected with um, risk management and underwriting practices. Um, you can see it's also connected with community resilience. And there's a lot of efforts underway to improve community resilience and how communities are prepared to handle natural disasters. And certainly, properties are so interconnected with the community at large. 
but we're looking at what can the property owner, investor, or lender do to really understand what are the vulnerabilities at the property level itself, and how can we make this property more resilient so that it can withstand those stresses um, in a better way and come out um, with less damage, um, quicker recovery time, and so on. Just a little bit about ASTM International. Um, you know, it, it, they have over 12,000 standards covering um, many different things. It's a consensus-based process. And so what we're working on in our group is um, we have over 120 members from uh, banking, um, property development, um, consulting firms, engineers, architects, a lot of folks from the climate modeling side, the ESG and sustainability reporting side. Um, thank you. I know you're like, what slide is she on right now? Um, yeah, so we are, we are um, part of this consensus-based process that ASTM International fosters. Um, so there are over 12,000 standards across the globe. ASTM processes are open and transparent. And one of the main points I want to make today is that the power of standards is exhibited through ASTM. Thank you. Um, so ASTM is this open, transparent process. And you see on this list a number of different standards that are utilized in the commercial real estate transaction and finance space. And if you're not from that world, you might feel that this is a very, um, I don't know, mundane topic. But the point I want to make today is standards are powerful, especially when they're adopted at scale. So in the case of the environmental site assessment standard that you see listed there, this was developed around 30 years ago, and it was recognized by EPA as a methodology to disclose environmental impairment in a property transaction situation. And because it was recognized by EPA, it is used across the U.S. and internationally as well for buyers, sellers, lenders to understand what is the environmental condition at a property. That may also sound kind of mundane if you're not in that world. However, if you think about the power of that and think about all of the um, environmental impairments that have been discovered and dealt with and the impacts to human health, positive impact to human health as a result of the use of this standard um, in property transactions daily across the U.S. and internationally. Compared with what had happened before that, which was that a regulatory agency needed to kind of identify that there was a risk at a property, require the owner to clean it up. Now, this type of information is coming up in a property transaction, and it's dealt with before the property can be sold or financed. So it's very powerful that these, these types of assessments are utilized in a property transaction and that they're generally accepted by all the parties involved in a transaction, from the buyers to the sellers to the lenders to the rating agencies. Everyone can agree on what an environmental site assessment is, what a seismic risk assessment is, and so on. So it provides this common language that people can use in a property transaction. It reveals what impairments might exist at the property so they can be dealt with. And that is what we're working on with our new standard. If you could go to the last slide, thank you. Um, the reason why we feel this is really necessary is that the pressure to disclose physical climate risk at the property level 
and up through an organization is growing. And yet there is no uh, globally recognized consensus-based standard on how to assess that risk at the property level. There are many standards that have been developed for portfolios um, to identify the physical risk within a portfolio or to identify the risk at the community level, but there are not so many for the property level. So we're looking at how can we assess this at that real estate um, kicking the tires um, level. Um, we also, as I said, want to provide this common language. So within this context of property transactions and financing, um, that common language can be provided. I will also say, similar to the ESA, the Environmental Site Assessment Standard was uh, created about 30 years ago, and it has been revised numerous times. The standard we're working on on physical risk, this is just the first effort, and we are pulling together um, from over 120 different individuals involved in the task group, we're pulling together best practices from many other associations and industry organizations that have prepared guidance. So ours is going to be an umbrella. We're not trying to create another one to compete, but to be an umbrella under ASTM to live alongside those other ASTM standards that are typically used in those real estate transaction scenarios. And through that, we know that we're just starting this process, that it'll be an iterative process of updating the standard, probably pretty frequently at first. And then uh, over a few year period of time, these standards get renewed because the practice is evolving. So the two main points that I would like to make today about ESTM International and my experience with them is that they're so important because they do have power in terms of, for example, the ESA and identifying those environmental impairments and making our communities safer. And they are also this guidepost, this starting place from which an industry consensus can be gained and we can evolve from there. So thanks very much. Thank you. That's great. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you, panel. Thank you, Mike Lucan. Thank you, Holly Neber. Thank you, Holly Elwood, for sharing your time and your expertise with us. It's it's really interesting conversation. We have over decades created a safety culture, and now we need to develop a sustainability culture. That that was a light bulb moment for me. It really was. So thanks again, and thank you to the panel. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, and um, good afternoon. Good evening. Good morning. Thank you. Mm-hmm.